0: This morning we'll be in 2 Chronicles 31, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Second Chronicles 31. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and our time to spend with you. Beautiful sunny day, Palm Sunday, celebrating uh, when you came into Jerusalem and uh, presented yourself as the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world for the priests to examine, for the leaders to examine, and you were found without fault. Um, and so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for this as we, uh, you just timed that perfectly, where we just got over with Passover last week here and Second Chronicles, and now we move on to the reformation, not only of the nation, but of people's lives, and uh, they dedicate themselves to you. So we do that this morning. We've dedicated our time to you this morning. We dedicate our lives to you, and we pray that you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week with the... Uh, with the passover and the everybody coming together for the first time in a very long time in the nation of Israel worshiping God and celebrating their exodus from Egypt and the and the final plague that they escaped because the lamb that was uh, the blood of the lamb that was applied to the doorposts of their hearts and of their of their homes protected them. And so perfect timing uh, as we get closer to next week's Easter service which we will have a sunrise service didn't do the Good Friday service or Good Thursday service, whatever we were going to do. Um, didn't have time to get it all put together uh, with songs and readings and all those things. So next year maybe, we'll see. But we will have the sunrise service. And uh, uh, what do we do, 645 or what was it? So it should be in the, in, the, in the email, but if you're not getting the email, sorry. 645 I think is what we put down. It gives us about 10 minutes right before the sun comes up. Um, so uh, that's what we're going to be doing and it'll be outside, out back, Lord willing. If it rains, it'll be in here in the sanctuary, but if it doesn't rain, it'll be out back by the, uh, the stage It's out here. And if you don't know where that is, you can take a look, and it's just over the bridge, and uh, it'll be right over there if you haven't come before. So Hezekiah's Reform, is what it's titled, um, moves from just the celebration, remember how much joy there was last week, how much uh, just serving the Lord and allowing him to minister to them and... Um, and it just brought, uh, the, the hearts were prepared, they had humbled themselves, it says, they had singleness of heart, and as they're worshiping Jesus, and, or not this time, worshiping God in the Passover lamb, which represents Jesus, um, there's just a, a, a tremendous amount of joy. And so what we're going to read here in 31 is the fruit of that, what comes from that. That freedom, that experiencing of god 's forgiveness, because uh, this is what they would do as a nation to sacrifice the lamb for the nation that would say, "Your sins are forgiven you, they, you know they 're covered over for the year um, and and so the fruit of that coming back to God, um, dedicating themselves back to the Lord, um, beginning to worship God the way He was intended or way He desired to be worshiped, now brings chapter thirty one which is Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. It caused them to not ever want to see those things again and and to... And to come back to those. That's what true repentance is. True repentance is I know that that's sin and, I, and I'm leaving that. But I don't leave it in my life to go back to. I crush it. I destroy it. I wipe it out. I don't, I don't give it any room in my life. And so the nation of Israel, as they've drawn back to the Lord, they don't want to have those temptations. They don't want to have that fallback position into other gods. The small g, you know. Um, they want to get rid of those things that caused them and tempted them to leave the God that they love, the God that loves them, and so they wiped out all these sacred things. Um, they call them sacred. I think that's interesting because it was to them a, a pillar was sacred to them. The uh, the wooden images were sacred. They were considered sacred. You know, well, what makes those things sacred is they did the people. They put those things above God uh, in their lives and above all else. It becomes sacred. Anything can become sacred in my life when I put it above God. And it's not to be sacred. It's not to be untouchable, you know. There are certain things Christians can talk about in certain political environments, because some of those things we call sacred cows. Those are the terms we use. We, don't, we mean it flippantly, but that's what we mean. Don't Don't touch that. Don't talk about that. That's a sacred cow, you know. Well... All those things in Jesus need to be torn down. The only thing sacred in my life is Christ. That's all that should be sacred in my life. Everything else is touchable. That means God can touch any aspect of my life he wants to and and ask me to give it up, and I'm willing to do that. The only thing that's not sacred or that's not untouchable or what is untouchable is Jesus. He is sacred in my life. Well, they had made many things, and they went out to wipe all that down. That's what repentance is. We wipe that stuff out. We get rid of those things. In Exodus 32, verse 20, it says, Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. Now that's one sacred thing. They had made this golden calf that said, Now this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And God said, No, it's not. And so when they realized, or when the leadership at least realized, that this was not healthy for them spiritually, he grounded up, they grounded up, and, and crushed this thing. And that's an obvious sacred thing that needs to go. It's a false god. But they made other things sacred that they weren't to make sacred. The other one was the bronze serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. I'll read you the story, short verse anyway. Numbers chapter 21, verse 9. The people were bitten by serpents, and the curse was going through the entire... Nation at the time, and and this was god 's plan to solve, to heal the people, so Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived, and that was a tool used by God it was in, it was prescribed by God, but it was never intended to be made sacred, which they did. it was just the thing that they were supposed to do it was a a symbolic uh, it's a picture of what Christ was going to do later on. Christ would go to the cross, become sin for us, be, be sin for us, and die for our sins. And anybody that looks at the cross gets healed from their sins. Well, later on, in this chapter right here, 2 Chronicles 31 is also mirrored in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 18, verses, verse 4. And so one of the sacred pillars that we just read about that got killed, 2 Kings mentions it, and it's the serpent. It had become sacred to them. He says in verse 4, And he, Hezekiah, removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Neheshtan. They began to worship the thing that God had used that happens a couple times in Scripture, and it's inappropriate. That's not what God wanted to do. You know, there's guys online that'll sell you little bits and pieces of the cross of Jesus, and you can hang it around your neck. It's the actual cross of Jesus that they've found. And, of course, the joke is if you had put all the pieces together that they had actually sold from this cross, to be about the size of the Empire State Building because it's just this. And, and their excuse for that is, well, it just keeps it just keeps producing more wood you just keep multiplying like the five loaves and two fish. I mean, there are shysters out there, you know. But for 50 bucks, you can get a piece of Jesus's cross or a local railroad tie that someone chipped up in their garage. One of the two, I'm not sure which it is, but. We make things sacred. We're not, we're not supposed to have talismans or good luck charms or things that we hold on to or that we consider sacred. It's a relationship that God wants with us. And that's something we have to always guard ourselves against because we can make things that have impacted our lives, even like this serpent did, and they can become sacred to us. So important that they're untouchable, that they can't be removed or, or whatever. That if I lost that, I don't know where my faith would be. Well, no, your faith is in a person, Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be attached to a thing of any, of any kind. And so they wipe these things out. They remove all these sacred things. It's just them and the Lord now, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Verse 2. I promise I won't go that slow through the whole thing. (laughs) Verse 2, wait. (laughs) It's a whole chapter. And Hezekiah appointed the the, uh, the divisions of the priests. So he's setting things up in order to continue this worship. He uh, appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons, and the set feasts, as it is written in the law of the Lord. So to get things kicked off, the king says, I'm going to pony up my stuff to be used for the worship of God. I know we don't have this set up. We're getting it set up, but for now I'm going to start giving you my cattle, my sheep, my things for the burnt offerings so that we can have those going. And eventually they'll, they'll be able to do that with the community uh, stuff, uh, their, their offerings and their, and, their, uh, and their tithes and so on. But for now we're going to do it this way. So he offers up, his, he leads by example, you know. Um, that's good. And uh, puts his own stuff out there for them to use. Moreover, Verse 4, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Up until now, they'd, off, they'd all gone back to their property, to their lands. We know that the Levites and the priests did have lands, common lands, outside of the cities where they were told to inhabit. You know, they were spread out all over Israel so everybody could see the pastor if they needed to. Well, they had lands that were given to them. Um, but nobody could go do the service of the Lord because they're too busy managing their lands, their herds, and all the livestock. There was no provision for them. They'd stopped providing. Malachi chapter 2 verse 7 says this, For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That ought to be the place where people can come to, to get the word of the Lord from them. And these guys weren't available. They were taking care of their families, and it wasn't a good thing. And so Hezekiah sets this up to where I want you guys to come back to doing this full time. Um, there's 12 tribes. This tribe, the Levitical tribe, is set aside for this purpose. I want you doing, your, doing what you're called to do. So uh, one twelfth of the nation was to be doing this and serving the Lord. Nehemiah runs into the same problem. Eventually, the nation of Israel gets taken captive by Babylon. That's later on. We'll read that here. Um, and the whole nation is removed from their, from their land. Some are left scattered here and there. But for the most part, they're all gone to Babylon. Well, eventually, after 70 years, they begin to come back to the land in waves, groups. Okay. Well, when Nehemiah gets back, he's the third wave, the third group coming back from Babylon into the land. God's released them. It says in chapter 13, verse 10, I, Nehemiah, also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So uh, whenever that happens, whenever there's that neglect or that lack of generosity or just obedience to God's word, then that's what happens. They go back and they begin to uh, to their own lands. They have to. And So Nehemiah had to do the same thing Hezekiah uh, is doing here by getting people back so that Uh, the service of the Lord can continue. Verse 5. As soon as the commandment was circulated, all the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine and oil and honey and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. That's a tenth. And the children of Israel um, and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen, sheep, and also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, And they laid in heaps. So they began to pile it up out there. Um, And here's why. Here's what happens. Um, uh, In the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. So there's a lot of back, you know, things going on here. It's been years since they've done this. And so everybody's, you know, they're right with the Lord. They've had this wonderful Passover. Um, They feel the the burden lifted of their sins, They, they understand they're free. And uh, this is just a natural outpouring that happens from a heart that's been touched by a generous God. Um, And here's the scriptures I wanted to read to you for this. It says, um, Psalm 145, verses 5 through 7, the goodness of the Lord is what it's titled. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness they shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. In Proverbs eleven twenty five, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Now, usually you teach that in, okay, everybody, you need to be generous. And if you're generous, God will be generous to you. That's how they teach it on TV anyway. Um, and so give to us, and, and we'll, you know God will, God will bless you with a miracle wallet or whatever, and you'll have a lot of money the rest of your life. And, and that's fine, I guess. I mean, it's, it's, it is meant that way. But remember what the Word of God is, is teaching us, and God always leads by example. He always leads by example. And so when you read this, now read this as, as though it was God, not you or me, uh, the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself i know it's a it's meant for us but God is the instigator. He's always the one that's out blessing us. He's always the one letting the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. He's the one that starts the whole watering process. I mean, that's the whole point of the tithe. You can't tithe or give back a tenth to the Lord unless he had given you first the hundred percent, you know, kind of thing. And so the whole idea here is God says, I'm going to show you what this is like. And he just waters the earth And everybody's like, this is great, wonderful. And then he gets watered back, you know, kind of thing. And that's what's happening with the nation of Israel here. They're understanding that, that God has just showered us with forgiveness and grace and mercy, and they feel that burden lifted, and their souls are light, and there's so much joy. It's so easy for them to say, oh, you know, and they just just water back to the Lord a little bit of what he's, they sprinkle what he's poured, you know. It's just a beautiful thing. Um, to show him, he's always leading by example. Who washed the feet uh, the night that he was betrayed? It was Jesus that washed the feet, you know? Always leading by example. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be the least. That's how it is, you know? And I'll show you what that looks like. I'm going to humble myself as the creator and wash your feet for you. Oh, that's what it looks like. You know, Peter's going, hmm, you know, trying to figure it out. Psalm 51, 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. God is just a generous God. He's so blessed. He's, he's so, such a blessing, you know, and just showers us. It's, it's amazing. And so you can see that happening here. They're just in that place where they've received so much from God. Um, they begin to heap back to him. Um, and it's heaps because there's, well, there's 11 tribes. Actually, not all 11 are doing it, but there's a lot of people and so they're heaping them back. Beautiful. So for four months they're doing this. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and they saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And Hezekiah, the king, questioned, uh, questioned the priests and Levites concerning the heaps. What are we going to do with all this stuff? You know? um, and Ezariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him. And said, since the people began to bring the offering into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is a great abundance. This is just a, it's just a small, it's a smattering, you know. We're, we're full. We can't eat anymore, you know. Maybe the king's asking them, hey, when are you guys going to take your stuff home? This is for you to provide for your family. He's like, we're done taking our stuff home. This is extra, you know. And so they come up with the next idea. What do we do with this? Now, Hezekiah commanded them. Uh, to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord. And they prepared them. Uh, then they faithfully brought in uh, the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things. And there's, there's our extra right there. Um, if it was just a tenth, well, that, that probably would have been just enough for the Levites, but it's that, above and beyond that. It's the offerings. It's the dedicated things. It's just people are moved, and it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's amazing to see. Um, so they're moved to do this, and they're, and they're giving, so they build these rooms. And so they they have to put some guys in charge of it. Okay, so th- we're going to go through a list of names, bear with me. Um, but these are the guys in charge of the rooms full of stuff that they're going to distribute to all the Levites throughout the whole nation. Um, so they can stay in their cities, so that they can study, get the word of God, understand, do their job, do what they're called to do, you know, and then distribute. So that's what these guys are going to do. Um, so they put in charge... Uh, I, the Levite, had charged them with Shimei, his brother, uh, was the next. So those two guys uh, were the main guys. Uh, Jehiel, um, Azaz, Azaziah, I think, Nahath, uh, Asael, uh, Jeremoth, Josabad, Eliel, Ish, um Mahath, uh, and Benaiah were overseers under the hand of Koniah and uh, Shimei his brother, at the command of Hezekiah the king of, of the king and Ezariah, the ruler of the house of God. Kor, the son of Inma, uh, the Levite, the keeper of the east gate, was over the free will offerings to God. Those are above and beyond the other stuff. So um, they had the tithes that were kind of specific. The free will offerings, separate thing. And they were, uh, they were in charge of those things. And under him were uh, Eden, uh, Minamiah, Joshua, uh, 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 Shemiah, or Shemaiah, excuse me, uh, Amariah, and Shechaniah, Shekin, his faithful assistants in the cities and the priests to distribute allotments to their brethren by divisions to the great as well as as well as the small. So the whole family's getting taken care of here. It's not just the guys, but they take care of everybody. Um, and begin to distribute these things evenly. That's a big operation. That's a lot of people you got to take care of, so they've got a lot of guys doing it. Verse 16. Besides those males from three years old and up who were written in the genealogy, they distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service by his division and to the priests who were uh, written in the genealogy according to their father's house, and to the Levites from 20 years old and up according to their work by their divisions, and all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them. For in their faithfulness, they sanctified themselves in holiness. Speaking of these others, it wasn't just dad's responsibility. The wives were. Uh, getting themselves sanctified. The kids were sanctified. Um, they set themselves apart for the Lord. The whole family needed to look like that. And that's, that's not uncommon. That's New Testament leadership as well. Is supposed to be like that. There's some of the qualifications for an elder and a deacon. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the whole family needs to be sanctified in order to be qualified to be an overseer. It says this, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his house or his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the children of God? Not a novice, lest, being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so, ruling uh, his own house well is not, you know, making sure that everybody is cowering in a corner at home, being obedient to God. No. Because a shepherd is supposed to bring people along to maturity in the Lord, to where they have a relationship with him till they love him, that's what he means by this. Your whole family needs to be walking with the Lord. They need to be going and and, and staying with God on their own and building their own relationships with him, you know? And so those are the guys you want to put in charge, because if they can do that with their family, they might be able to do that with the congregation. But if they can't do that with their family... How in the world can you expect them to do that with the congregation? It's, it's, a, it's, it, it's just you need to find those guys. It even goes down to deacons in verse 8. Likewise, deacons uh, must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these all first be tested, then let them serve as deacons and be found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, so that's what's happening here. These guys are, uh, they're setting themselves apart. Their families are following them, setting themselves apart. And the, and the household is, is doing service for God. And so the dis- distribution is being uh, given out here. It's a neat thing. Verse 19. Also, for the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the fields of the common lands of their cities, in every single city there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who were listed by genealogies among the Levites. They're doing it and getting it done. And this is where we have this verse that Aaron put up. Um, It's in this last section. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah and he did what was good and the right and good and right and true before the lord his god and in every work that he began in the service of the house of god in the law and in the commandment to seek his god he did it with all his heart so he prospered all of his heart he didn't go halfway with it it wasn't enough for him to just kind of get it or sort of get it or 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 make do or what's enough to get by you know um, we had a common thing. We'd say, well, good enough for government work kind of thing. And if you're in the government, forgive me, but that's what we used to say. <laughs> it's like, that's ah, good enough for government work. It's close enough kind of thing. Um, horrible, horrible term, but some people in the ministry do that that way. That's ah, good enough. It's close enough. It's. I mean, you know, um, I, I suppose I've done that a couple times, you know, several, maybe several times. I don't know. I probably shouldn't even go there or bring myself up because it's, it's a little convicting. But what made him a blessing to the nation, this king Hezekiah, was that he first sought the Lord. And as he's searching the Lord and seeking the Lord, he knows that's what's best for the nation. Just like what Paul told Timothy, if you seek first the kingdom of or actually told him to um, um, take you to your doctrine and to yourself and, and those around you will get saved. Um, and Jesus then also said what I said earlier, uh, or started to, um, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This king understood that. My my messes aren't what I bring before the Lord. Y- you can, and that's fine, but the messes in my life are there because I haven't been obedient to the Lord, for the most part, or other people in my life haven't been obedient to the Lord. And that's what causes these things. And so, the best thing I can do as an individual, as a person, as a, as, a, as a created being, is to worship the one who made me and to draw near to him, but to not just kind of do it, but with all of my heart, like we read earlier, humbly with singleness of mind, but with all of my heart, seek the Lord. There's nothing that's a sacred cow in my life. There's nothing that can't be touched by him. Um, everything is open. Um, and that's what humility is. Everything in my life is open for God to change uh, if he wants to, and Hezekiah did that, and it's such a a wonderful success story for the nation of Israel, at this time in their history anyway, because this one man decided, I'm going to do what I know this nation needs to do, and that's to seek the Lord, and he begins to do it with all of his heart, and he prospered. God can get on board with those things. God gets on board with obedience. He can do that. That's that's where God is glorified in my obedience. He can't get on board in my disobedience. God isn't glorified in my disobedience, and I can't ask him to bless that. He can't bless that. Um, we, we, we sometimes mention, and this is just a side note, I guess, but um, young men that are you know, desiring to be married or, or young women that are desiring to be married or can't figure out why God hasn't brought a spouse necessarily. Some, for some, it's just because it's not for you. It may not be for you. It may be that God wants you to be celibate and to, and to uh, commit, yourself, com- commit yourself completely to him. For others, it's because you're not going to be a blessing to the one you're going to marry yet. You're not there. God hasn't matured you enough to where the wife isn't going to be blessed by you because you, you can barely lead yourself to the Lord, let alone lead a family to the Lord. Or likewise, a wife isn't prepared to be a wife yet. She's not going to be able to serve and to take care of and be a blessing to her husband and to her family because she's not walking with the Lord like she's supposed to. Um, these things have to happen, and this is, this is all it is. It's not a complicated process. With all of your heart, with all of his heart, he committed his ways to the Lord. Everything he did was for God, and so he prospered. That's the best verse he could have put up today. It's the most amazing thing that... Um, it's not a complicated thing. How do I get closer to the Lord? How do I do these things? Just follow Him, with all of your heart, though, you know, um, not half, not, not not halfway. And that's where we leave off today. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for your Word. We thank you that this is such a celebration for the nation of Israel. We're watching, or reading in real time their their just their their walk with you. Um, As the king got it in his heart to bring people back to you and to begin to celebrate the Passover and the people responded to that. They didn't have to, but those that did were so blessed and overjoyed. And then when they left that place of forgiveness, of healing from you, they went out and began to change their lives and change the environment around them so that the sacred pillars weren't there anymore. The things that caused them to stumble, to walk away from you were removed from their lives. And after that, they began to be generous and began to just be uh, overflowing with their gratitude for what you had done for them. And that's just, that's our walk with you, Lord. It's very simple. A beautiful, generous spirit comes from a beautiful and generous God. And the more we know you, the more we become like you. And the world is blessed when we're walking with you. So Lord, help us to stay close to you and to walk with you so that our families can be blessed so they can see the example of what it looks like to walk with you and that they would want that too for their lives so that our friends and our co-workers would see our walk with you and desire that in their lives and want to ask, what is it? Why are you different? What is it about this God that you serve? And we can introduce them to you and they'd have that relationship with you too. That's our heart, that the whole world might come to know you, Lord. And the beauty that you are and the, gener- the, the generosity that you've given us and forgiveness and mercy and grace and that burden that can be lifted. And I pray this Easter, God, as many hearts get softened, as they begin to turn towards you a little bit, it's impossible not to. For men. The world does their best to get us hooked on bunnies and rabbits and, and eggs and things and try to distract us from the purpose and the, the reason for the celebration, which is your resurrection. People's hearts get softened. They begin to think about you. They, they go to church maybe for the first time uh, in a year, you know, and uh, they begin to worship you and begin to soften to your voice. I pray that you'd help us to be useful tools in your hands, open to your Holy Spirit, leading us to speak and to share your love with those around us and tell them why we have this reason for hope. It's because of your son Jesus. Lord, bless our week as we prepare for Easter next week. Help us to have our minds and our hearts be single-minded. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week, and we'll see you, uh, if not Wednesday, Sunday.